Welcome to the Life and Rhythm Podcast, where we hope to equip rhythm communities to be formed by God, with one another, for the good of others, in the valley as it is in heaven. What's up, buddy? What's going on, man? Good to see you. You too. How you doing? Yeah, I'm doing really well. How are you? I'm well. I'm doing good. I'm excited about this conversation. Absolutely. With our friends in Kansas City. We have some friends on the episode today. Yeah, tell me who they are. We have three amazing young men. (laughs) They're so young (laughs) in spirit. Uh, Their age is, well, they're just older than us. (laughs) Let's just say that. But that comes, there comes some wisdom there that we, we've really, we've uh, benefited from. We've, we need their wisdom. Oh, absolutely. 1,000%. Publicly, I would like to apologize for all the emails. Yes. We've emailed them a lot. They've been such a blessing to us. We we've had said, numerous Help! conversations. Help us! They're a little bit further along the way uh, in terms of this new vision of what church could be. And we're going to talk a lot about that in this episode. They talk a lot about that. Yeah. Um, but we have... Three guys, Brian Phipps, who leads Disciples Made. Incredible resource. Incredible. So we're, we're uh, rolling that out in the new year, 2021. That's going to be one of our primary tools in mm-hmm. terms of disciple-making tools. Yes. When people ask us about uh, Rhythm Community Church's discipleship pathway, you can look at Disciples Made and get a glimpse of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have Rob Wagner and Brian Johnson, who are with the KC Underground and and those those guys are they've just been such a such a huge asset for us and and just trying to reframe and rework what rhythm community church is going to look like going forward and so we're blessed by them but what, what are some things that you took away from our conversation well first off i'm just grateful that there's some like-minded people around the country rethinking the form of church mm-hmm. in america they're asking the same things we're asking, um, yeah, I love the question in the conversation where he says, they're in Kansas City and they're asking the question, where is the kingdom of God not? not. Yeah. Great so question. Good. And then as we notice that, how do we then, in a contextual way, be that missionary family, mm-hmm. you know, extended family to that culture? And so like them, we're trying to learn from the global church. We're trying to look back on the historical church and mm-hmm. see maybe there is a move of God. Maybe there really is a disciple-making movement that we can enter into that's more primal. I love mm-hmm. that word. Yeah. That is more sacrificial and that is decentralized and um, where the Holy Spirit is the main teacher. And so a lot, a lot of things to chew on here, especially their, their definition of even what is a disciple. Yeah. And so pay attention to that. And yeah, just excited for y'all to chew on this with us. Yeah, it's a great way to uh, think about the BLESS acronym that we went through this last episode and how we listen and engage in culture, not just to our neighbors or specific people, but what what is actually uh, the underlying effect of culture and and through where we live and how it's affecting their home and things like that. So there's a lot here that to unpack and apply to the acronym that we walked through in the last episode. Yeah. So hope you all enjoy it. All right. Peace. Peace. All right, guys. Thank you for being here on the Life and Rhythm podcast. You're right here with us in beautiful Mesa, Arizona. Mm -hmm. Y'all from 
the sticks of Kansas City. <laughs> sticks. Missouri. Just, no, How would you describe it? We're it's from Kansas. Kansas. Oh, you're from Kansas. You don't, <laughs> you don't know side. anything. You're at strike two. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're not even 30 seconds wow. into this. Strike two. So the Kansas side, just give us a little bit of a Kansas City history just to jump in. Wow. A lot of war. Yeah. <laughs> between, they were on the sides of the Civil War, war. <laughs> and the battles used to be fought in downtown Kansas City yep. over those things, slavery or abolition. Wow. Yeah, right there in the heart of Kansas. Yeah. States came into uh, America at the same time because of the, whatever it is, some, some compromise in the 1800s that if you're going to allow a slave state to enter, then you have to allow a free state to enter at the same time. So uh, Missouri wants to enter as a state, so the Kansas Territory becomes a state. This is the quick overview. Somebody can probably Wikipedia this and find all the wrong things. But, uh, the, uh, so Kansas is called Free State. We've got a lot of Free State things, you know, Free State Brewery, Free State whatever. So it's uh, it was a big kind of exodus of slaves across the river. So there's two downtowns of Kansas City. There's a Kansas City, Missouri, which most people are actually more familiar with, and there's Kansas City, Kansas, divided by a river. But you can't really tell which side you're in most of the time, unless you know which side of the river you're on. It was the last stop, stop off point, too, when people were going out to explore the West. Yeah. So there's like this sort of pioneering cowboy culture that's real deep in Kansas and then interestingly there was my wife's done a lot of research on this very early on there was a um, the churches and the missionaries in the area because of the difficulties ended up working together like a big network um, and that's something else that has seemed to stay in the mix in the church in Kansas City there's a really high level of collaboration and there's been a very long movement of 24-7 prayer yep that has been going on, I think, 40 years, something like that. 20. Um, But Dan Solanis talks about there was one before I had. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, how about that? It started, so. More importantly, however, you know, and more richly theologically based is the fact that we have the reigning world champion, Kansas City Chiefs. (laughs) Wow! Coffee mugs are great. Are there cardinals? Are there cardinals a bird, right? Yeah. (laughs) They get eaten by Chiefs. That's right. Okay, that's right. A stew, actually. <laughs> preferred. Hey, we're bringing our shenanigans over here. Hey, I wasn't so. planning on going here, but I think that's a, a really great place to start is just the cultural context of which you are... How much better we are? Is that where you're well, we established that. There's football, right? We've established that. But just in terms of playing the gospel, you have to know know your city. And so what are, what are some of those challenges just from the landscape of the divide? Do you still see that, those ramifications um, today, even? You know, generations later, people not even aware of, you know, those divides or those boundaries or, mm-hmm. you know, what, what are some things that you're seeing just in that cultural context? Yeah, a memory popped to mind for me, a recent one of a couple that we're friends with that live in Casey Mo. And, you know, after... Pause on your story. I said that you can't tell the difference if you don't know what side of the river you're on. The two sides of the city are actually very distinct. Yeah. And you know when you're in, like, KCK or KC Mo, that, that part's not what I mean. If you're just driving around just paying attention to geography, it's more like the actual distinctions when you get down into the streets is pretty significant, which is yeah. now a better framework for a story. <laughs> yeah, so it's, I think it's just a little microcosm of what's happening. So after George Floyd was murdered, 
there was an event that was organized that was called Pray on Troost. So Troost is kind of this dividing line uh, in our city. Literally. Yeah. And uh, with wealth and whiteness on one side and poverty and people of color on the other. And it was very difficult for our friends um, because, um, you know, they're laying their life down in a very difficult neighborhood. We were there three weeks ago and someone was, uh, two people were actually murdered while we were there, um, like a block and a half from where we were standing. And this event was mostly organized by white people to come and stand on the street and pray. And I'm for prayer all the time, every way. But their concern was if this becomes basically a guilt relief valve so white people can come and stand on truce for an hour, pray, and then go back home, is that really representative of deep repentance, true reconciliation? So I, I would say there is still a very deep divide. Yeah. And it shows up in so many different ways. Um, but I'm also very hopeful because I do think it, there is a movement of genuine repentance and reconciliation that's happening below the surface. Um, so it, that divide is definitely present in our city all these years later. There's still, you know, suburbs of a big city, so you got people spread out all over the place. It's the Midwest, so there's a ton of land. It's not like it's a huge downtown. People drive 20 minutes into the city, so just like any other city, you've got a lot of diversity from the urban core out to the edges, and then you got rodeo guys. <laughs> so that's like... It's true. <laughs> Rodeo. Yeah. <laughs> it really is across the board. I mean, it's a, a ton of, you know, different places and spaces full of people that all have different passions and makeups. So you guys have been in Kansas City for how long, each of you? I've been there for uh, 11 years. 11 years? Um, six. Yeah, just over six. Six years and three months or something like that. Yeah. Five years. Five years. Yeah. So in your time, you've, you've experienced a lot. You've obviously delved into a lot of the history, um, but the intent of you moving to Kansas City was for what? Uh, Jesus. <laughs> he told me to. The Bible. <laughs> he literally did. Westside Family Church it was a church that um, was the, the invitation. We all have a common friend in Dan Sutherland who was the lead teaching pastor at the time. And uh, I had actually met Dan when he was in Charlotte and planted a church with him. And uh, I had raised up a co-leader or two, and we were uh, moving this little church plant down the, down the road and <clears throat> thought there was another guy who could probably take it and lead it better and, and faster and further. And I was coming out to get some counsel from Dan. And uh, he said, I've, I've got a role that, I, that I'm kind of uh, scared to share with you because I think it might just tap you right where you are. And, and it's the small groups discipleship uh, role. And I remember get, being on the plane on the way back going, oh no, <laughs> because uh, I, felt, I felt called. The last thing I wanted to do is go to Kansas City because all I saw was wheat fields and all this, but uh, Kansas City is actually a beautiful city and a growing city. So that's what, that's what called me there was that role. Yeah, and I'd been um, in South Bend, Indiana for 22 years as a part of a, um, church plant out there that had grown and uh, exploded and was really involved with the purpose-driven church movement 
in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s, and that's where I met Dan Sutherland. And it was funny, same thing. He he kind of adopted me as a spiritual son, and yeah. every year or so he'd call and say, God loves you, and I have a wonderful plan for your life. When, when are you going to come out here and work in Kansas City? <laughs> <laughs> and it ended up, we resigned from that, um, working for that church, and uh, we were in this pause, sort of waiting for God to direct us on where to go next. And and um, the team West Side was super, um, I mean, they were so kind. They basically said, um, come out here and do what you love to do. You know, like, which was, they were into orphan care. I uh, had these um, orphan care centers in four or five different countries. And we, so I came out to help them build church planting kind of uh, training hubs there. Um, and then I said, and I want to do the same thing locally. I just want to help ordinary people learn how to be good missionaries, lead these simple forms of church. And they gave us like this great big sandbox, like, just go have fun. Yeah, go ahead, do it. Let's see what happens, you know? So um, that's why I came out. And then I called this guy. I remember where I was sitting at the time. <laughs> I called him, just popped right into my head. So I'll let you tell your own story. <laughs> I'm trying to remember where I was sitting. It apparently, was not as <laughs> where all three of us were sitting. He was like, "Whatever." <laughs> That's not true at all. Mine is not related to Dan Sutherland, uh, not at least directly, but it was because uh, my relationship to Rob, and we were in the southeast, a little college town, Auburn. Uh, we were had planted a little side of this church that functioned more like a church plan. It was in a a local Irish pub and it was all about trying to create this extended family with multi-generational but mostly college students because they thought it was cool that we met in a pub I think uh, but our our questions that we kind of framed the way that we thought was where is where is the kingdom not where where mm-hmm. can we see this in the city the kingdom currently doesn't exist and then how do we bring the kingdom so we were trying to disciple them into the ways of like you know, hunger doesn't exist in the kingdom, so let's do a community garden. And loneliness doesn't exist in the kingdom, so we went and did a service at a nursing home every Sunday because we felt like that was the most clear place of loneliness in our community. So we were trying to think through that. That was our framework. Um, I had led worship for, I don't know, 15 years or something at that point. And was training our global mission teams. And so Rob said, hey, you can come and do all those things out here in Kansas City. And I thought, man, I'm doing this job with with people that want to explore some new things. I think we're moving to Kansas City. Mm. Um, I didn't want to go either, mostly because it's cold, though. But that was, that was really mm. the only reason I didn't want to go. <laughs> <laughs> it does get cold. So obviously there's a lot to unpack there. You guys moved to Kansas City uh, we're a part of a thing there, no longer a part of that specific thing, but still a part of, there's three things that you guys said, still part of the kingdom, advancing the kingdom, you're still making missionaries, and you're still a part of an extended family. And so I've heard you guys talk about it enough to talk about a disciple-making movement is your, really your heartbeat for the Kansas City area. What is that? And how did you guys land there when you talk about kingdom, advancing the kingdom, creating extended families, and really presenting an opportunity for people to be on mission or or living out their mission or their calling? Mm. 
Well, there's, I think there's two ways of looking at that answer. Um, one is more of a high level, and then one is actually very specific on the ground. So disciple-making movement, um, I think it starts with uh, what you could call missional imagination. So we all have a certain template of church that's been handed down to us. And uh, it's, you know, about 1,700 years old. And uh, it's when the bishops shook hands with the Roman Empire and the church started to be recreated in the image of the empire. And she had buildings and then she had professionals. And, um, and so most of us have a, a vision of church that's about, um, it's a building, um, there's religious events there. Um, it's, there's, there's professionals that lead it, organize it. Um, and I think if we're gonna see a disciple-making movement, um, like that way of seeing the church has to get disrupted, you know? And that's where I think, especially for Brian and I, our story, like uh, seeing the church outside of the West, where it's in a more primal form, where it's this decentralized movement of ordinary people who become full out, like crazy in love with Jesus, willing to lay their life down for others, um, making new disciples. You know, and when you're a disciple maker, you're becoming a leader without even knowing it. And they start seeing these new forms of church pop up that we call microchurch. And like what we started at Westside, um, which would have been about six years ago, is now a movement of more than 2,000 microchurches internationally. You know, and when you see like that kind of decentralized, viral, you know, uh, absolute like life changing, culture changing, village changing, it's like, yeah, I mean, did, when you see it, you go, wow, that looks like what happened in the book of Acts. You and know? Orphans are being cared for. Yeah. 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 And it, yeah, it leads to, it starts with very deep personal transformation in people's lives through the power of the gospel. But then it leads to cultural transformation. Like mm -hmm. these villages are suddenly like, they're not, you know, you know, infanticide is not okay anymore. You know, so they're caring for orphans for the first time. Like, all these kids need to be educated regardless of their caste. We're going to figure this out. Like you start to see the repercussions of the gospel. So I think disciple making movements, it, it starts with like a mindset. You begin to imagine the church in a different form, you know, and Alan Hirsch, you know, talks about he, his way to summarize it. It's like kaboom. <laughs> and when the church goes kaboom, you're like, whoa, this is out of control. You know, it's multiplying. Uh, so I'd start there. I'll hand off to these guys to kind of add from there. I'll say that that the picture that picture right there kept me from ever thinking that I could participate in or be a catalyst of a movement because that picture is so grand mm. and that picture is so unattainable. Um, and so uh, for me, I, I just always thought people like Rob did that. People like me do do other things, you know, <laughs> that are more manageable, predictable. I've seen the form, all these other things. I mean, this is my analysis of what I must have been thinking subconsciously then because I didn't have the categories for now. Uh, but I do remember in uh, fall of 2015 being at a regional conference and hearing someone provide a definition of movement that wasn't that thing, that was a more, okay, that's more within reach. And it was, it was uh, Dave Ferguson was talking about a definition that they use of movements for uh, church planting. He basically pulls up the, the 2 Timothy 2 model 
where Paul says to Timothy, you know, train people in this that can train people in this. You know, so four generations, Paul, Timothy, Timothy's mentee, and then the mentee's mentee. And uh, so they basically adopted that framework, saying that that's the perpetual model. And uh, you have a movement of church plants if you have planted two churches that go to the fourth generation. And so my abbreviated way to to say that is if you have two uh, disciples who have made disciples that have made disciples, or you have four four generations of disciple-making on multiple strands, then you've hit movement. And when he said that, I thought, I don't want to plant churches, but I want to plant disciple-makers. Um, let me go back and draw a diagram uh, as to how far we've gone. And we had actually gone into the fourth generation on three strands, multiple, you know, twos and threes, multiples of, uh, and one five. It's like, we've got a disciple-making movement. And I didn't even know it. I've just been kind of putting my head down, trying to disciple people in a multiplicative fashion. And, um, and we had one. I thought, well, if, if, if this knucklehead could get here, we can help anybody get here. And uh, that was a part of what led Disciples Made to go from just being uh, something in a church that was just trying to multiply leaders within a church to something that others were interested in, I believe. I think that most people sitting in a chair on Sunday morning are probably confused about what the definition of a disciple is and even identifying as a disciple. Most people would identify as a Christian even though if my numbers are right and go back and check me, I think disciple was used 269 times mm-hmm. in the New Testament and Christian was used three times. Yeah. And so curious for the three of you, somebody comes up to you and says, okay, I want that, I want to be that. What is that? What is a disciple? Brian well, should take that. <laughs> <laughs> you got people I mean, pointing at people. We, well, we have um, we have a very simple definition of what it means to be a disciple that we've learned from Brian that evolved out of that movement that is in his spiritual legacy. Mm-hmm. And for us, that definition of disciple is character times calling equals impact. That's the simple definition. We can go deeper on that. We have a longer definition that involves other words like fully alive and habits and outcomes and things like that. But for the people of, of our local movement, they know character times calling equals impact. And that idea is character is the fruit of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. And calling is the gifts of the Spirit. And the impact is those things together is the difference they're making in the world. So as I look at people in my microchurch, what I'm constantly thinking about, or when I'm looking at my own kids, I mean, it really starts there for me. Like, that's always primary, even over those other people that the point I'm trying to make without rambling too much further is I'm thinking, (laughs) how can I help my kids grow in the character of Jesus and love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? How can we tell stories at the dinner table every day so that they're thinking about, this is how I demonstrated this character today. This is how I need to grow in a new part of that fruit of the Spirit. And as they get older, speaking life into them, Cash, you have a generous spirit. You love welcoming people into our home. You love creating spaces for people that um, that feel lonely. Like, I don't know what his calling is yet, but I'm speaking those things that yeah. I see in his story. It's powerful. And trying to create 
that framework for him to understand. Like he's given his life to Jesus. He's made that that sense of I've crossed a line. I understand Jesus is Lord. We've been through baptism. We've talked about how your life is different. It's informed by a different narrative now. Mm-hmm. And the continual process of discipleship for him now is like, but I want your life to tell a different story. Mm-hmm. And the only way it's going to do that is if you grow in this character piece and you grow in your understanding of how Jesus made you. Like the thinking behind this for us is um, every every congregation has to have a very clear, simple, compelling, reproducible answer to your question. And motivating. And it's gotta, one, be, yeah. it's gotta be motivating. And it has to be built on deep theological convictions. So we have five of them. And we call it the ingredients of the intentional disciple-making environment. And we could go like all day on any one of those, Hours. right? Yeah, we because there are deepest theological convictions about what it means to be a disciple. But it but it can scale all the way down to something a 12-year-old could explain. That character times calling equals impact. It's like I need to I'm following Jesus so I grow in the fruit of the spirit and become more like him and then discover the unique purpose that he's created me for, my calling with my gifts and the things I'm passionate about. So there's impact. You know, and impact is both personal transformation, mm-hmm. and also multiplication. Like for us, those are the two kind of non-negotiables of impact. Are, are you actually, is the spirit of God um, through the power of amazing grace and resting in the gospel and the finished work of Jesus, are, are you becoming actually a qualitatively different person internally, like more loving, more joyful, right? But also, um, everything in nature multiplies when it's healthy. Right, so a disciple that doesn't multiply, that means there's something sick there. There's something that's being oppressed there. Um, something that hasn't been unleashed yet. Um, and so that's something for you guys as a, as a community, you know, to go on a journey on. Like, what are our core theological convictions about disciple making? And how do we get a definition that's so simple and so reproducible and yet faithful to those theological convictions that like ordinary people can share it, you know? I, you know, we talked about what they are. We didn't give any real yet why those are, um, which is so big. <clears throat> I can remember, you know, 12 years ago, 10 years ago, when I was starting to ask the questions, you know, what is the definition of a disciple and what am I going to do to disciple these people? And I was doing all the research. I backed up and just asked a simple question, God, how do you change people? If we don't want to, if we want to do more than inform we really want to transform. Like everybody, that's in a zillion articles, blogs, podcasts. We don't want to inform anymore. We want to transform. Well, how are you going to do that? We're going to inform better. <laughs> hmm. Sounds like a good plan. <laughs> you know, That'll I, work. I knew enough to know <laughs> doing the same that thing. if you only put a new branding on it, you know, but you don't interrupt the primary strategy you're using, to get to a different result. It's the definition of insanity. You're gonna do the same thing harder and get a different result, as it wasn't the case. And I remember also at the time thinking there's a lot of people that were in this debate in our church about whether or not discipleship was about being or about doing. You know, is it is about what, who you're becoming or is it about what you're doing? And there are people that are on different sides of the equation based upon their personality, their history, the people that influence them. Their calling. <clears throat> their <they're> <laughs> calling, which they may or may not know. And I just remember God leading me through a theology process. You know, you can hear all about this on the, the, the other podcast stuff that we do. But, um, 
is basically a summary of theology proper. The Father ordained our salvation. Check. The Son accomplishes our salvation. Check. Which one of those actually has a direct, measurable impact on our life? None of them. They accomplished their work. The Spirit is the only one who is still active and engaged in the process of sanctification, which is applying our salvation. Father ordains it, Son accomplished it, Spirit applies it. Well, then that's the connection point. What does it say about what he does? And if you look, it's he bears fruit, he cultivates fruit. And by the way, these are measurable. They talk about a smart goal for disciple making. I can tell you, well, your wife can tell me, or your husband can tell me, your kids can tell me if you're more loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind. And where you're not, you're missing being Jesus. He's given us the privilege of having our anxiety replaced with peace, with our judgment replaced with kindness and mercy and love. Our, you know, I could go down the list, but I don't need to. You get what I'm saying? But those are measurables. And then, you know, so that's the fruit of the Spirit. And then he talks about how these gifts have been deposited into our lives. And, 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 and the, the deposit, according to Ephesians 1, really is the Spirit of God. So what does he do? He bears the fruit. But he's also deposited these spiritual gifts. That's what we do. Characters who we're becoming, gifts who are about what we're doing. So I said, we're going to focus on those two things. How do I get those two things? And uh, here's what I found. And the reason impact is a part of the word is um, it had such a radical impact in their lives and then an unprecedented, literally have never seen this before, except for people that go to seminary, an impact through their lives. And I'm speaking not in the world, but just in the people that I had tried to disciple. It's like there was already a preloaded can of gunpowder in their soul and just a working toward those two outcomes. You have to ask about definition. Those two outcomes, like you just put a match uh, right up next to uh, a, a powder keg that was in their soul that just lit them on fire. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that is they start to see themselves not as a person who goes to church to get. Mm-hmm. They, they, they are the church. They're part of the team. They're not a person in the bleachers watching the game. Mm-hmm. They are now in the game and uh, because of that calling piece. Mm-hmm. And here's another observation, just real quickly, is related to that definition. If part of the definition of disciple does not include how God has wired them to do, they will never multiply because they'll never see themselves as an agent. Mm-hmm. It's only when they start to see what God has put in them and have other people validate those things, mm-hmm. encourage those things, invite it out. Like Brian was talking about with his kids. I did the same thing with my kids. Hannah, you've got the neighbor kids coming over. You're lining them up. You're playing teacher. You might have a gift of leadership here. Mm-hmm. So we went to the passages that talk about leadership. Well, what does she do now? She leads everything she's in. Mm-hmm. She edits our podcast, and she tells us what to do and what not to do. It's fantastic. (laughs) But that started in her little pink Barbie room, having that conversation for the first time. So that I see in you, that definition is Mm -hmm. so short and yet so theologically robust. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so the definition's everything. It's short on purpose, though. I mean, it's, it's memorable that way. It's repeatable. 
Oh, it's short intentionally. I thought mm-hmm. you said it's short on purpose. It doesn't have much purpose. <laughs> <laughs> it lacks purpose. It's pretty, it's pretty flimsy, but you know. We love it, but there's really not much purpose to it. <laughs> the idea is that you can remember it, though. You know, it's not... I know you guys tell stories about people coming up with their definition of disciple, and it's like a paragraph, or a, some of them it's like a nine-page white paper on what a disciple is, and it's like, this is not reproducible. Mm-hmm. You know, and again, it's like we're we're taking this definition out of what we see Jesus doing with the disciples as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Uh, this It's not like Matthew 14, 6 says... Character times calling equals impact, thus saith Jesus, you know, but it's like, as you watch the journey, you know, Jesus is saying, Peter, like, you don't have the mind of God in this moment. You're missing something here, you know, it's like, and you're going to deny me, but he's also spending time on the beach, like love, feed, you know, he's like, he's always cultivating in them, you know, one side or the other, like, you got James and John, like, Lord, do you want us to call, like, fire down on this city? We need, like, let's, let's talk about love, maybe. <laughs> yeah, like, let's, let's back up a little. Yeah. <laughs> Slow down. Deep breath. Let's push a pause on yeah. that. Um, so, like, all through that, like, we're pulling that, this definition out of what we see Jesus doing with them constantly in the everyday stuff of life. Mm-hmm. And there's no, there's no big, long definition for him either which is another purpose to keep that definition short, just to say, like, with these two ingredients, you can, you can hold so much more underneath them. Absolutely. Thank you all so much. And Rob, would you mind praying for our people that yeah. listen to this, that they would live into that? I sure will. Yeah. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. You know every listener right now. Uh, thank you, Lord, that uh, every single person right now that's got the earbuds in or is just running in the background while they're making a meal, driving into work. Uh, you know everything about them. Mm. Pray they would feel right now, Lord, that sense of how loved they are by you. Um, you thought them up. I pray they'll feel that sense of divine purpose and calling. And Lord, I pray in your name Um, that rhythm would be blessed to be a disciple-making movement in the name of Jesus. Uh, I pray, Lord, for those that are on the journey and they believe, they believe in you, Jesus, that they would be activated uh, to be disciple-makers, experiencing deep personal transformation in their their own character and and then an awakening in their calling. I thank you. I pray for every single a member of the Rhythm family to uh, discover their masterpiece mission, that set body of good works that they've been uh, designed to walk in um, that will help bring your your fullness, your love, your beauty, your justice, your good news uh, to every single corner of culture here in Phoenix. And Lord, I pray um, for just a fresh awakening, Lord, of grace uh, fullness of your spirit, um, and a sense together as a big family um, to just go back to the first mandate, go make disciples. Mm-hmm. I pray for that to be rediscovered, reawakened, to be 
unleashed. I uh, pray that there would be disciples, making disciples, making disciples for generations deep on multiple strands. Pray that it would penetrate the lostness of this city. And uh, what starts with personal transformation would yield cultural transformation. And uh, we ask for all that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Thank you guys. Mm-hmm. Go Chiefs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Roll Tide. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Life and Rhythm Podcast. We are on mission to live freely and lightly with one another for the good of others. Peace.